Hey, I've got a riddle for you. Okay. What do bats, beavers, burnout and eeling have in common? Bats, beavers, burnout and eeling? Yeah, yeah. No idea. Sean McCormack. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. We interrupt the show for an important announcement. Hello there, dedicated listeners. We just want to take a little time outside the show because we've got something very exciting to share with you. We have exclusive Veterinary Ramblings merchandise available now. That includes T-shirts, mugs, posters and prints. Now, personally, I think my favourite is our T-shirt with a hilarious diagram of cat anatomy, which has been revised to include their sandpaper tongues and treat-detecting ears. Yeah, and if you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to veterinaryramblings.com and select either the merch button for a one-off purchase through our T-Mill store or select Become a Patron. I know you're worried about this, so let me reassure you. Everything in our T-Mill store is fully sustainable, carbon neutral and shipped in plastic-free packaging. By making a one-off purchase, you'll help us plant more trees, save water and reduce carbon emissions. If you want to support us further, become a patron to receive items you cannot get through one-off purchasing. A shout-out on the show and exclusive Veterinary Ramblings content. And please, every single purchase made will really help us to keep on interviewing amazing guests. But if nothing else, we really appreciate you tuning in. Now. Now. On with the show. With the show. Here's Sean. Hey, Sean. How are you doing? Tell me, Sean, because you you do real TV and presenting stuff, don't you? A few little bits along the way, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, but you're you're beginning to carve your niche in that area. Yeah, hopefully. I do a podcast as well, you know, and I I just keep it very informal. We've been watching it and listening to it. Goshawks in Germany. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And Dead Hedgehogs. Dead Hedgehogs. What was that one? Oh, that's that was, Instagram. That was in, yeah, rather, rather than podcast. Yeah, that was in the allotment. It was. It was. It was. Yeah. And now my my mother in law lives in Ealing, and um, ah. I thought you should. I thought you were going to say your mother in law lives in an allotment. Then <laughs> well, she, does, she pretty much does. She she loves her allotment uh, with little parakeets flying over. Oh yeah, with loads of them. Ealing, yeah. Uh, so I must tell her about the um, the wildlife project, which you're going to tell us about in a minute. But it's at the moment, I think Mike and I are both bursting to know. What's your favourite bread? My favourite bread? It's got to be Irish soda bread, hasn't it? It's got to be. No, has it? <laughs> yeah, I'd be Lovely. killed. I wouldn't be allowed home if I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've only got half an hour to make a loaf of bread. That's the one to do, isn't it? Okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I thought you were going to set me a challenge there while I was on a podcast to bake a loaf of bread. <laughs> we, we've dropped that section. Okay. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> It's getting in the way of conversation, was it? Well, the sourdough, we're 72 hours into it, thinking, right, yeah, yeah, come yes. on, come on. <laughs> Proving again. <laughs> yeah, and then we'd find out we'd find out that I hadn't set the recording button on or, or something stupid like that. And, yeah, no good. <laughs> that's brilliant stuff. So where's the, where's this subtle Irish lilt from then, John? Um, so I'm a bit of a mixed bag. Um, some would call me a, a traveller, although I'm not. Uh, I'm not a gypsy traveller, but um, I was born in Kilkenny. Uh-huh. Uh, so both, both my parents are from there, which is like Midlands. And then we moved around quite a bit with dad's job. 
grew up then from the age I was 12 in County Kildare, kind of Dublin border. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a neutral Irish accent. If, yeah, kind of soft, I suppose. That's lovely. That's yeah. lovely. I also moved <laughs> over here when I was 18 and, and then moved back to do vet school and then moved back here again. So I've actually been more time in, in the UK as an adult than, than at home. So Glad you haven't lost the accent. Ah, no, we couldn't do that. Sorry, shouldn't we be saying we, we couldn't be doing that? Yeah, we couldn't be doing that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we couldn't be. We couldn't be doing it. Not oh. losing that. It's a nice, <laughs> nice. Sorry. It's, a, it's a young Terry Wogan, if you don't mind me saying so, sure. Do you think? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, comforting, yeah. It's a comforting voice. Good, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, do. Let's talk about you, Sean. you just come back from Slovenia. I have, yeah. I was there um, for a week. There? Have you been? Yeah. Yeah, it was an amazing country. Um, I yeah, I went with a friend um, who's on a bit of a career break. He's just become fun employed um, between jobs, so he doesn't know what he's doing next. He said, do you want to go on a nature holiday, chill out, get away for a week in Europe? And I was like, yep, sign me up. Yeah. So um, yeah, we booked, booked a chalet in the Selenian Alps, and I brought my camera and just got off grid and hiked and swam in lakes and... Um, Spend some time with my camera, which I don't just don't get time to do. So yeah, really good. It's good, isn't it? Try and get my eye in again and just that slow down, find my own Zen state again. And uh, yeah. yeah, I've come back very refreshed. But then I came back to you know Monday, playing catch up and going, where do I start on this to do list? That's that's not as much fun, is it? So what does it, what what does Sean's to do list look like on a Monday morning? Because um, I've been so, trying to work out exactly what you're doing and how you're paying your mortgage. Yeah, well, I'm paying my mortgage with an industry vet job. Um, so I work as head vet for Tails.com. So we're um, a pet nutrition company right. um, online that provides bespoke diets for dogs and now cats as well with a sister company. Um, so we started in about 2014. Um, I joined them early 2016 um, after six years in clinics and uh, a little bit of burnout, if I'm honest, and a bit of a career reflection and wondering what to do next. And yeah, I joined them very early in the journey and, and we've been... Um, growing ever since so that's the kind of nine to five um nine days a fortnight i do that that's the bread and butter mortgage paying job right um, and one of the reasons i you know left clinics as well is to kind of get a little bit more of a work-life balance and get some free time to do the other things that i'm really passionate about which is mainly around nature and wildlife conservation interesting mm. and have you always been a, a nature and wildlife conversation conservation conversation Reports. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think like you talk to any conservationist and I think even, you know, a lot of vets will have this story as well of like from the time they were a very, very small child being just fascinated with nature. And um, for me, it was everything. It was like how it all interacted with each other. You know, it, was, it wasn't just animals and it wasn't just pets. It was definitely, you know, bugs under rocks and plants and flowers and how everything interacted and, and things like and that. And that's the thing, once you got your eye in, life is everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's just always something to discover. I mean, my mum says now, like, she remembers I was the fourth of five kids and, and she remembers being like, oh my God, what's he doing? Because I was just age two, like turning over rock, massive rocks the same size as me and mm. looking at what's under them and bringing creepy crawlies into the house and freaking her out and all sorts. Excellent. So yeah, it was always there. I think it came from my grandparents, probably. They were into kind of countryside and gardening and, and nature and stuff as well, so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. So as, as a two-year-old, you started turning over rocks and starting to see what was under there. So yeah. wh where did your career path and your qualification path start? 
Yeah, so that's an interesting story. I think like there's elements of um, not regret, but there's definitely elements of like kind of reflection on did I did I choose the right career path and you know how, mm-hmm. how did it all work out? I think with that like I don't know intense love or obsession or interest in nature and animals and ecosystems and things. I think most adults that I met as a kid were like, how do you know so much about this? Or they'd, you know, they'd ask me questions and I'd come out with something and they're just like, he's like a little encyclopedia of knowledge on birds or bugs or whatever it was. And they always asked me the same question was, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I just thought early on, you know, well, what is a job that I could work with animals and, and nature? And I thought I'm going to be a vet or I'm going to be a zookeeper. <laughs> okay. And um, I quickly realized that um, maybe keeping animals in a zoo wasn't going to stimulate me too much, um, you know, and I heard then from nearly every adult when I said I might, I might be a vet or I want to be a vet, they said, that's very difficult or, or you, that's really competitive or you won't get into veterinary medicine or, oh, it's a very tricky job to get into and stuff. So I think no one ever says, oh, good on you, well done. Gosh, what can we do to help? It's always, oh, you never get in there. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's so I kind of got around. that reaction a lot. And um, I suppose being, you know, having a little stubborn streak, maybe. Or a very right, okay. Yeah. I was like, I'll see your challenge. <laughs> and, okay. And kind of thought, well, look, that's the path I want. That's it. And mm. I was just very, very kind of like, single-minded and focused on that. I guess you guys, you know, might be the same. So, so the more people said no, the more you said, right, that's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah kind of. Kind of. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I kind of, um, I suppose, was quite good and quite academic at school um, up to a certain point. Um, but vet school in Ireland is extremely difficult to get into. There's only one vet school. There's only 70 odd, 60, 70 places at a, at a time mm-hmm. per year when I was applying. Um, and I just missed out on getting in. Um, so I also knew I needed chemistry and I had to do a year after my normal kind of A-level, um, studies kind of leave and search equivalent. Um, and I just decided to do a certificate in, um, what was it? I think I can't remember the name of the certificate now, but it was a fairly kind of basic, um, level certificate in animal care or veterinary assistance, something like that while I did chemistry at night. So I, I basically had the choice between doing a straight science degree as an undergrad and before mm-hmm. I applied for a veterinary as graduate or to do an animal science degree which had um kind of options in going down the livestock production animal production kind of route um right. or going down habitat and species conservation route so I chose animal science moved to Essex uh, when I was 18 mm-hmm. uh, did that degree for three years and then applied to do veterinary medicine at, at UCD and moved back home uh, to, right. to do that so a little bit kind of long-winded I suppose um but getting that kind of, I guess, education in kind of more ecology, species mm. conservation, countryside management, um, things like that, it really, really piqued my interest. And it, it didn't kind of take me off the, the veterinary path, but I definitely arrived at vet school in UCD, you know, what, three, four years older than most of the, the first years with a bit more of a rounded um, kind of view. And I definitely got away with my anatomy and physiology lectures and dissections for the first year or two because uh, I'd already done them all, which I wouldn't have done yeah. in Ireland. Um, so I had a little bit of time, I guess, and a little bit more kind of thinking space and a little bit of a round, more rounded kind of view of like what the veterinary degree was and what you could do with it after you qualified. It didn't just have to be the bog standard, what are my five-year-old self thought, which I'm going to help animals by working in a clinic and making people's pets better. Right. Um, so yeah, it just lots of things happened organically and um, 
I kind of knew and I, I wanted to come back at some point to do have more time with wider animal health, wider global health, wider kind of environmental health than just, again, being in a clinic for the rest of my career, treating one-on-one -on -one client relationship, one-on-one -on -one pet, uh, pet vet relationship. I just, I did, ended up skipping forward, ended up doing it for six years and just getting a little bit phased out and, and this isn't my passion. This isn't something I can do for the rest of my career, you know? You mentioned a bit of burnout as a kind of throwaway line almost, but mm. did, did you did you feel that was where you'd ended up? There was a bit of compassion burnout or or, or, or general fatigue? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't make light of that at all. And I, I've talked very honestly and, and openly about that in the past and I certainly can again. I went through a very, very difficult time um, and... I know you've had um, other vets and, and young vets on who are mm. at that stage in their careers now, or they're yep. thinking, "I don't know what I'm going to do next, and I'm I'm having problems." It's but yeah, it's a I went very through... common theme, but more so I think in sort of post-COVID state. Than... Yeah, I, I can't cool. believe you know I don't believe I would have lasted as long had I graduated you know five years ago instead of 10, 12 years ago when I did. But yeah, I went through a pretty um, tough time. I was in my third practice. It was a good practice. It was a good job. Um, you know, I had, I had pretty good conditions. I had four day week and I was only on call one weeknight. Um, all our on call went at weekends as to another practice and I had a good team. You know, I was pretty happy. Mm -hmm. There were some prospects maybe later on to kind of buy in and, and things like that. But um, I did it for three years and I was I was treating mainly domestic pets, but also exotic pets was my main, mm -hmm. main interest because that gave me the, the breadth of species and it yeah. kind of with exotic pets, you are actually as much a kind of a, a naturalist as a clinician, because I'd be looking at birds and reptiles and telling their owners, this is how it lives in the wild. And this is how you're not meeting its needs. And this is how, you know, its diet and its lighting and its heating and things need to actually match up with the, the kind of ecosystem. See how this perspects two foot tank doesn't quite match the little Doesn't quite make it, make it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of using that. And then I think part of the reason um part of the reason there's lots of reasons part of the reason I, I kind of became a bit jaded with that whole side of veterinary medicine mm -hmm. was I just felt I wasn't um contributing or making a difference I was just kind of firefighting and I was also possibly um at times um allowing it to happen or glamorizing it a little bit I was using mm -hmm. social media it was you know I'll give my age away it was before Instagram you know but I was like like the vets, mm -hmm. young vets using Instagram now, I was using Twitter for that reason. And I was exotic pet vet on Twitter and I was posting my cases and people were like, oh my God, that's so cool. You've like spayed a leopard gecko today. And I was just like, actually, after a couple of years of doing that, I was like, I'm not actually solving any problems here. I might be solving a single problem mm -hmm. for that single leopard gecko or chameleon that came in when 20 others this week in my vicinity kind of slowly wasted away in a, in a little tank somewhere. Um, and I just felt actually, this is not my purpose. This isn't like where I'm going to find joy for the rest of my life. So, okay, right. Well, let's get, let's get back into it then. Um, I mean, it, it strikes me as, as, as an interesting thing. You, you're being very open and honest about this whole time in your life, but you're a personable character you're you're a good-looking bloke you got this lovely soft irish lilt it, the whole world was was at your uh, your fingertips essentially 
Yeah, but I wasn't happy. And I, I was, had done something that uh, I had worked my entire life for and I'd worked very hard for and I'd, you know, um, made sacrifices for for because mm-hmm. I went the long way around. And I actually ended up feeling quite um, bitter, you know, that shit, it hasn't worked out, you know. Okay. I don't actually like this day-to-day job. And um, what am I going to do next? What, you know, I felt quite trapped. I felt quite, um, as I said, with the kind of animal welfare side of things, um, that I felt I was almost not being hypocritical, but again, facilitating mm-hmm. um, a repetitive cycle of, of animal welfare and animal ethics, things that I didn't agree with. I yep. studied a lot of animal welfare and ethics um, kind of science in my undergrad degree. And really, really liked that, but was quite a kind of, I guess, deep thinker on that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even pedigree dog breeds, you know, I, I talk about that a lot over the years on, on my social media and things and campaign on, on certain issues. And I just felt like, number one, there's some ethical issues here that I just feel like I'm part of and I'm not solving. Mm-hmm. Number two, I, I think that the industry and the way veterinary medicine is set up um it's difficult, you know, it, it is a, a kind of socially isolating job and I'm quite a, you know, um, sociable person. And I felt like actually I looked kind of from an outside perspective and said, I've been in this room with no windows talking to random strangers or people I kind of vaguely superficially know in 10 minute consultations for the last three years. And I don't have, at cert- on certain days, on my consultation days, I don't have a huge amount of access to my teammates who are out there working together. And I'm in there, you know, with this cycle of people coming through and it's a constant stream of, I have this problem, solve it. I have this problem, solve it. Um, and yeah, that I think contributed to, to burnout, um, definitely. Um, social isolation as well. You know, I moved to London. Um, I'm Irish. Uh, I, you know, didn't have huge amount of friends here kind of um but I did move for the friends that I had and um, where I chose to live um but like the the difference between the people of my age group who weren't vets who were most of my friends and any of the vets I knew from my first job my second job that were young and recent graduates I just saw all of my vet friends really really struggling with you know the hours the commitment the tiredness the um this, the feeling of fulfillment with mm-hmm. getting home after, you know, a long day and going in the next day and just kind of not having a life outside of work. Or even if you had the time for it, you were just absolutely exhausted, uh, you know, mentally and physically. So okay. it was just all these things added up. And I just thought I'm not really um, enjoying this. I do want to know where to go next. And um, in the end, it was stomach problems that that kind of um, tipped me over the edge. I had... Um, bad stomach I was having like IBS flare-ups um I was kind of getting stomach cramps and, and things and I went to the doctor for that and I ended up crying in the doctor's office and the doctor was like this isn't your stomach this is your head like this this you know you're you're very stressed I can tell um you know things are getting on top of you we're going to sign you off for two weeks um and uh, we're going to figure out a plan and mm-hmm. the plan that I got was wow. um contacting vet life and just saying Wait. I um, haven't been happy for quite a while. I've been sort of keeping it to myself because I don't want to admit to myself, let alone my colleagues or my boss or, you know, my team Mm -hmm. that I'm not enjoying this anymore. And I kind of covered it up a little bit in that, oh, my stomach's a bit dodged this week. And, oh, I'm having like, you know, pains. And I'm going to go to the doctor on Thursday about that. But I wasn't talking to anyone about actually, here's where I'm really hurting and here's where I'm really struggling, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, was, it was until it put you 
in the doctor's office and you'd got a, and I just you'd got a doctor that was using the ears and uh, less of the stethoscope. Yeah. Actually listening and to what you know, doing. I'm just trying to think what was the like the trigger for that. It was a doctor that said, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, I understand how it is to be a, you know, recent medical graduate and, and things. Now I was six years out, um, so I wasn't that recent. I was there. Mm-hmm. I say I was a pretty good vet. I had very happy clients. My teammates were very happy with me and things. But I was just, yeah, I was just at that tipping point, I guess. And the, he said, how are things at work? How is it going with work? Like, how are you? Uh, mm-hmm. I think he said something like, um, has anything happened at work? And I said, um, uh, this week I came like this close to telling a client to off, you know, <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and you know, I've come, I've come close before, but this time mm-hmm. it was like, I'm going to like absolutely lose my <laughs> composure here and tell them, you know, yeah. Um, it would be nice to be allowed to do that just once a week, wouldn't it? <laughs> I know. Once a month would have been fine. Like blow off steam a little bit. But yeah. yeah, that was the thing. And then once I said that and kind of oh, he broke down that barrier and I just I started crying. He's like, there's more going on here than just your stomach. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. There's still this huge stigma, isn't there? Barrier to admitting that, that we're struggling. Yeah. It, it is yeah. it is a, a, a hugely stressful job and yeah. as you say despite the fact that we were often you know, normally in, in groups there are a lot of vets a lot of nurses or receptionists most of the time we're working alone yeah uh, and dealing with really really quite emotional cases alone there isn't the time to go out and say do you know i, I felt so upset about that last case I, I felt i wanted to do this here and wanted to do that there was this no 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 because you've got to get back in there and carry on yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely more people waiting with their new puppy right yeah, yeah. oh yes and he's lovely he's a sharpie he's great i paid ten thousand for him yeah. yeah and then you're like he's going to cause you immense pain <laughs> yeah. yeah not to mention i mean it's a difficult job just up here trying to like keep 20 cases in your head per day and, and work out what's best for them and what are the next steps and how have i communicated with that client on this and you know you're mm. juggling a lot in, in in veterinary medicine all the time i think is, is there not also an element there when you're facing all of this that you feel a guilt that you're letting your team down, you're letting your teammates down, the rest of the crew, as well as potentially the clients? I mean, yeah, yeah. Can't, can't take a day off because look at the amount of work you bring everyone else will take a day off. Yeah. Sign off for two weeks. God, dear. How I said that. I that? kind of, yeah, yeah, I mean, I battled my GP on that. I said, I, I can't just take two weeks off. Mm. I can't not go into work tomorrow. And he was like, Yes, you can. If yep. you broke your leg today, you wouldn't be in the surgical suite tomorrow, would you? And I was like, no. He said, you're not okay. You're not well. You need some time to think about things and some distance. And da, da, da. And I yeah. felt so guilty. Mm-hmm. I can't even remember. I think I was like, I was quite, um, I don't know. I was so in my head and, and so kind of distraught at that time. I, I don't even remember like who I rang or Mm. my boss was the practice manager what did I say I definitely know I felt a bit of shame and embarrassment about it and like ooh, and I, I was put it on really, my team as insisted you know it was like trying to take it out of my control absolutely really we, we should be far more open about this we, we should be able to say uh, at any stage during the working day do you know I, I really I can't see the next one I need no. to have half an hour I just need to do something. I need to. I need to go and chat with some friends. 
Hot, hot veterinary practice, you know, has yeah. the kind of, um, you know, the, the room in their staff and their team and their day and their schedule. Like, yeah, things are just getting booked on top of other bookings. And, you know, one person has to go home to look after a kid that's sick at school. You know, the rest of you pick up the slack. Like, there's not just not the wiggle room to be there really isn't. If mm. people that. And I think um was it I think you had Chris on recently, Chris Wilson. He talked about mm-hmm. resilience, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. Right. Yeah. And he said, like, we we are an industry that's constantly kind of recruiting for or seems to be recruiting for and telling people within the workforce, you just need to be more resilient. The the industry is broken. Like, it's not which came first, chicken or egg, you know. No, I think you're right. I, I, one always remembers the halcyon days of one's youth. They said, you know, 25 years, 26 years ago when I qualified. The days were easier. The nights were yeah. easier too, but the days were easier. Mm. We, we, okay, I was in a, a mixed practice, and, and they are almost always, I don't know if they are now, but they were almost always overstaffed mm. because there had to be some flexibility because you might be called out for a, for a carving or yeah. for a colic. So you had to have some spare people on, on hand. Yeah. But um, they were a lot less stressful. Now, whether that was because I was was younger and I was able to cope. Uh, yeah, you're just I, getting yeah. old. You're just getting old and tired. You're forgetting all the forgetting all the bad stuff. <laughs> old, old, tired and cranky. Yeah, and you're forgetting <laughs> the bad stuff. Quite right, Sean. I think that's yeah, it's like rose tinted glasses. Rose tinted glasses in the history. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've done a number of things in my in my career, and there's no question: the older I get, the faster I was. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I I look back at my first job, and um, I worked with one of your former podcast cast guest as well mark hedberg all right um, oh yeah yeah really quite a character <laughs> um but yeah we worked in a, a mixed practice um down in kent and you know i look back on it now and there was some crazy positions we were thrown into and there were some responsibilities on us as new grads that i'm like Oof, i don't know if i'd be comfortable putting a new grad in that now but i thrived on it so mm. you know i loved it i do look back on it with fondness i definitely had times where i was like damn it, I, you know, got the short straw. I had to go and dissect a horse for a post-mortem examination before I got fed to the lions at a zoo on New Year's Eve before I could get to, lo- to London to party with my friends. So, you know, there's, there's stories there that are brilliant, but like there was times where I was very stressed and there was pressure on and things. But I think, again, we did have capacity. We had a seven vet team. Um, you had backup, you know, and I think it was the, the kind of combination of the, the isolation part and the years of experience of like being six years out and kind of getting that six or seven year itch that seems to come with any kind of um, job or career decision, you start to wonder. And and yeah, I, I think I just got a bit jaded with, with it. And I also got a bit clinically bored with it. And I thought, shall I become a specialist? Shall I become an exotic specialist? And I thought, no, it's the exact same dynamic, but there's more money on the table and there's more at stake if, you know, that patient dies if I'm a specialist. So I just wanted I wanted out, and uh, I just started looking at other things. That, that that's a gutsy move to take. I mean, that's illness in effect forced your hand a little bit and made you stop. That was your that was your up against the buffers stop mm. and reflect moment, wasn't it? What, it was, what would yeah. your advice be to to somebody now? I mean, you've you've come through that. You've started carving niches in other areas and and earning your your keep in in different ways still associated and using all of your skills and knowledge but what would your advice be to somebody who, who potentially is heading for that crash 
Yeah, I think the advice starts with before they're heading for that crash and then just kind of getting in with kind of vet students or, or early grads and just saying like your career as you think of it and how it's going to go when you were age 5, 15, 25 mm-hmm. um, can go completely different directions and that's fine. You know, we, we, we kind of, yeah. um, as a group of people, you know, we were very high achievers. We were very hard on ourselves. We're yeah. very much, we're quite serious people at times and um, kind of lose the, the kind of joyful spontaneity that we might have had before we got into veterinary medicine and became serious professionals. You yeah. know, I think actually, mm, no, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe not in this room. Yeah, yeah, maybe not in this gathering, um, which is good. You, you know, you've hung on to it and you're making something different of it now. But like, I mean, we do tend to just take ourselves very, very seriously. We, we, we do. Take and, our and we take seriously. failure of any sort. Any very, very seriously, much yeah. more seriously. Yeah. So I would yeah. say, yeah, just be open minded that actually, you know, if you're not having a good time, if you don't like X practice, then maybe Y practice might be good, but maybe Z practice might be um, even better or absolutely seal the deal that no, this is not for you. And that's also fine. And the thing is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over the last few years and certainly since I left clinical practice and uh, and things, I've met so many vets who are doing so many different things that it's really opened my eyes. I, if I could go back and talk to me, you know, then. Hang on, that was my question. Yeah. Hey, Sean. You, you, nick, you nick the question <laughs> I always ask. Come on then, Sean, if you could go back and talk to you then, please do, carry on. <laughs> it would be that, yeah, thanks, sorry about that. I think <laughs> no, it, no, would, we, we <laughs> it would be that, um, this is fine. This is just a little blip um, in your career where you, you feel like there's a stumbling block that you can't get over or that there's not many options on the other side, but there are actually tons of options on the other side. Um, and I think the, the the main barrier, that main stumbling block for me was um, coming from within me of like, am I a failure or have I, have I thrown away all those years of education or that real serious grit, determination mm-hmm. and um, stubbornness that I had since I was a five-year-old child being told, oh, it's very difficult to be a vet. Have I just done that like at the detriment of myself? And the second thing was, am I letting everyone down by now admitting mm-hmm. that maybe it's not for me? Um, and you know, I felt pressure. It's it it wasn't there. My parents wanted me to be happy above all else, but I felt the pressure of like they've supported me through college and university, and they've you know supported my move to the UK to study a degree that wasn't available in Ireland. You know, um, I I I worked my way through kind of my undergrad and, and my vet school as well, my own business and things, but I got financial support from them and I got support from them, and I felt like if I go to them now and say what I thought I was doing was I don't want to be a vet anymore or I can't be a vet anymore. But actually what I realized and what I'd say to that person now is you're still going to be a vet and you're just going to do different things with it. than standing in a consultation room with no windows, talking to the rich housewives of Richmond and their pampered pooches for the rest of your career. That's not what you want to do. So cool. Move on, find other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And, and that, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You, you are still using your veterinary, knowledge your veterinary experience because yeah. veterinary experience isn't just what what's inside a liver it's what's inside the heads of people who look after animals or, or don't look after animals. yeah yeah what's inside the heads of everyone you see everyone you you come into contact with through uh through your days as, as a as a consulting vet and we, we enrich yeah. us our lives don't we we see other points of view other ways of living yeah totally and it's also thinking bigger picture it's like 
why is the anatomy or physiology of this species designed like that? And what, what is evolution doing there? And mm -hmm. you, you have a better understanding of nature and, and natural systems and the order of things because you've got an analytical mind. You've been trained to figure out problems and ask the right questions and, and things like that. So it, it, it opens up a world of possibilities, I think. And, and that's what I would say to kind of people who are struggling currently. And it is like, don't think that you're trapped. You're not. You can actually explore and you can do lots with that degree. Hmm. Yeah, and don't be afraid to don't be afraid to think actually yes. this is my life and i want to do something different with it there's no shame in in getting to a place where you're unhappy and, and making changes it can only be a positive thing you know so mm. that that build-up to talking to your folks about it your parents that, that must have put a bit of pressure on you as well and wondering what they were going to say and they they turned around and they said well we've, we've known that for the last few years and we're glad yeah. you've come to this conclusion Interesting now because you're you're triggering some memories now. <laughs> They're not sorry. memories. I'm not tra traumatic tr triggered, but um, no, I I actually remember now they were coming over the following week. So maybe part of that pressure of like, oh, I'm like almost at breaking point here, and I don't know what to do. They're coming next week. Maybe that's why I booked the doctor's appointment or whatever. But I was signed off when they came over to see me um the following week. I think right. and we went out went for lunch. Um, they believed that I was you know. On annual leave or whatever and i just told them actually guys i'm signed off i've been having you know i've been having stomach issues and i went to the doctor last week and he signed me off with stress and it's to do with what i want from my career and and that i feel like i'm at a kind of sticking point there was a co another couple of kind of um practical options you know with the, the job and the practice mm -hmm. that i won't go into but they knew about that as well and they were like look immediately supportive if you need a break to figure out what you actually want and whether this practice is somewhere to stay for the next six months while you figure that out or whether you need a clean break or whether you need to you know do something else entirely that's fine and they also said like oh it's this, is, this isn't uncommon in our family your aunt had problems with her stomach related to stress in work when she was in her 20s i was like oh cool <laughs> solidarity so, you could have you know, told me that first couldn't you mike yeah i know but <laughs> it just helped they were they were immediately supportive you know i had built it up in my head um that you know this was going to be a big revelation i was going to disappoint them and blah 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 um and also echoes of my my teens um i'm gay i came out to them when i was 18 19 and i had that same pressure feeling and yeah. immediately it was fine you know they were supportive and there was a little bit of an adjustment period but i'd kind of like lived in my head before with this big problem i thought i had and actually the lesson is just talk to people about it just yeah. you know share and, it yeah and, and we find that every day don't we as, as yeah. vets you uh, you have this client phone call hanging over you yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. Smith's really, really angry about something, wants a phone call. And I used to think, well, okay, what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll give her a buzz later, because I can't, can't face it now. I'll give her a buzz later when it's quiet, when I've done other stuff. And you fester all day, don't you think, oh, God, I've got a phone her. And then you sneak nine, out and nine say, times out of, <laughs> Absolutely. Nine times out of ten, you phone them straight away, and within 20 minutes, you've finished the conversation all is well with the world and you yeah. go back to doing things if you don't figure them you wait till the end of the day then your stomach's playing up absolutely yeah yeah it's called swallowing the frog right yes, <laughs> yes. The frog. yes. <laughs> have you heard of that oh yeah the frog is we there ribbiting away no. Who just swallow the frog guess? and then it's done yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, i guess said that mm. yeah swallowing the frog yeah as long as it's not a poison arrow one we're okay 
no, no. <laughs> so, t- tell us about the Ealing Wildlife Group. Yeah. Yeah, so that um that kind of happened quite like organically, I suppose. I um I think I mentioned I had my own business in um, vet school. So yeah, I was, I'd say I'm like into flora and fauna. Um, mm-hmm. so when I was in agricultural college in Essex, all my friends, a lot of my friends were doing horticulture and garden design and things, and I just got a weekend job um with one of them, and then a summer job doing landscaping and garden design with them. Um, so when I moved back to Dublin, I uh, needed some beer money, didn't I? So I set up a little garden design and gardening business on the side for weekend work. Um, and when I left clinics, I decided to hand in my notice at, at that clinic. And uh, I decided I'm going to take an absolute break from veterinary medicine for a little while. Okay. Um, I went to see my friend who'd moved to Australia um, for about a month. And then I came back and I advertised on Facebook. Is anyone interested in having a garden makeover um, with wildlife in mind? That's my kind of specialty. Right. Um, and I ended up getting two really big jobs, actually, and set up um, a business um, on the side and did two big jobs. Took me about four or five months for both of the jobs. And mm. that was the break I needed to get away and think about what I want to do next. Right. Um, and then uh, started locuming again because I was like, right, I still want to keep my hand in and still want to think about things. So I started locuming as a vet part time and uh, talked to a few recruiters. Um, I think winter came and the garden uh, garden business dried up a little bit in terms of demand um well, yeah not, not literally it froze up and flooded yeah it froze <laughs> um and yeah i got talking to a couple of recruiters um i got the job with tails.com after talking to their ceo um, when they're in mm-hmm. very much the startup phase and i thought if i'm going to do nutrition and i'm going to use my vet degree in industry i would prefer to do something that was um closer to my animal science degree nutrition husbandry that kind of thing mm-hmm. than to go into kind of dare I say, and no offense to anyone that works in that, but something that I would find quite boring in a big pharma company or something. Mm-hmm. So I, the, what they were doing with kind of technology meets nutrition, I was really uh, kind of excited by, um, went and, and started there and then did not know what to do with myself because I was like, people go to work and like at 9 a.m. sit down at a desk and then at 5 or 6 p.m. they're like home and the rest of their time is their own. and nothing dies on their watch and you know, <laughs> you're not bringing that stressful conversation that you have to have with Mrs. Smith in the morning home with you either. So yeah. I just suddenly had this free time and um, I won a veterinary competition at Vet Times um, by answering some silly question and I got a £250 vouch- Amazon voucher and I was like, do you know what I'm going to buy? A camera. Bought a camera, um, started wandering around kind of the green spaces in Ealing and thought, I've never noticed this. I've lived here for kind of four years. I've never noticed how much nature there is around the place. So there's absolutely tons. And um, started taking photos. And the lady on the second wildlife garden that I designed, um, she's an absolute hooch, she's a good friend of mine still. She tagged me on a neighborhood Facebook forum where some journalist was asking, is it true that the Hanwell Viaduct in West London has the largest bat colony in the south of England? And I, that's down the road from where I lived. Um, and she tagged me and was like, Sean McCormick knows about bats. He's, he's a real nature guy. And um, I just said, I don't know if there's bats at the viaduct. I presume there is. I doubt it's the biggest colony in the south of England. That's a bit bizarre. Um, and I went down there and had a look and I got a guy from London Back Trust to come and do a little bat survey with some um, detector equipment. Mm-hmm. And I just said on that thread, I was like, there are some bats there. Like there's not huge numbers or whatever, but it's quite interesting. There's like six or seven species that he's detected there or six species. Um, 
if I was to buy a bat detector, would people be interested in coming on a bat walk this summer if I if I arranged them? Right. And over 400 people said yes. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. So I post I posted it on two of the, the neighborhood groups and 400 responses. People were like, I'd love to do a bat walk. That would be amazing. Da, da, da. So Ealing Wildlife Group literally was born from how am I going to organize to like get out with locals in the evening and this summer and show them some bats and how cool they are. And that's where it was wow. born. So it's just that's grown. Fantastic. It's grown into a community kind of conservation group. Initially was just a Facebook group. And then we become a constituted community group. And we've um, partnered a lot with the local kind of parks team, council rangers, and done a lot of collaborative um, conservation projects with them. So it's grown massively. We're nearly 5,000 people now. Wow. And, and uh, do you want to talk to us about beavers at this stage? We can definitely talk. We'd skip ahead to beavers for sure. I mean, we've had a 2016 to 2022 is quite the journey and we've kind of focused on lots of different species. But the big exciting news right now is that we are um, putting in an application to Natural England to reintroduce beavers to Ealing um, in, an, in, yeah, in an enclosed be, a closed trial. So we won't be just setting them free into the Brenton, waving them <laughs> goodbye down to the Thames. We're going to actually- Ealing High Street, off the go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off the Broadway, onto the central line. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people have that reaction where they're like, what? Like I thought beavers were these like wild landscape creatures and things, but actually urban beavers exist across Europe and North America. Um, Munich, Berlin, Vancouver, but yeah, like I mean, beavers are are only gone from the UK four hundred years, which in kind of evolutionary times is is the blink of an eye, really. And we're just but it's not like used lo- longer to... than the dodo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we're just not used to having them around or what they do, and you know, there's a lot of hesitation from anything new in the environment um, when it comes to wildlife. But yeah, we're putting in this this application and, and basically it's about, um, I guess, three things. One is seeing how we can um, kind of integrate and, and interact with beavers in an urban setting, because whether we like it or not, beavers are on the way back in Britain and they will emerge in, in cities mm-hmm. and towns and we need to understand how to live alongside them. So that's the one big thing is like, actually, let's do this before it becomes a problem. Let's do it so we can see how we can um, interact with beavers and actually most urban beaver populations are not very problematic at all. Um, and the second one is um, for kind of what uh, studying their habitat improvements and biodiversity improvements with them. We've reintroduced harvest mice, which are Britain's smallest rodent already to Ealing. We believe they've been gone for 30 or 40 years, but with the rangers and um, the kind of different management of a green space, we've good habitat for them now. And we were thinking next on the list would be try and re- reintroduce water voles. Um, Ealing are, cats will love you. I know, I know. We're putting all the rodents back, right? So we've, we've got some water voles around near us in Arundel. Have you? Arundel, yeah, the, the WWT reserve, right? Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Well, they, they, they did, the, the, the population dipped for a while because they think that uh, weasels or... or uh, Mink, was it? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we thought about doing that, but that's very kind of labour-intensive. But actually, if we bring beavers back first, beavers create the perfect wetlands and ecosystems for water voles and a lot of other things. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the big threats to water voles is, is mink, North American mink that have been released from fur farms and they're yeah. designed to eat muskrats in North America, but they can eat, eat water voles here and water voles have no kind of um, defense from them. So putting beavers or, back first. Although they can, they, if they put an extra thick overcoats and their galoshes on, then the minks can't spot them so well. Yeah, suits so of armor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> just, yeah. I've read Wind of the Willows, so I know that Ratty is a water bowl. Ratty is actually always, a bowl, yeah. He always, he always wears his galoshes. Yeah. So that I'll, no one can recognise his footprints. We'll, we'll take that into account in our water yeah. bowl reintroduction yeah. project. <laughs> sure. But yeah, that's one of the reasons put the, put water bowls back once beavers have created this new kind of elaborate wetland system. And then the third reason is the kind of human benefits. So um, the area that we're, we're planning to enclose and have them on for five years and study the effects. Um, it kind of is a, a sunken area and downstream of it is a high flood risk area. So actually by putting beavers on there and then damming the systems and creating wetland, they create much more water absorption capacity and they, um, they'll hold water. And the theory is that they will reduce flood risk downstream in kind of flash flood and, and road runoff events. And they'll also improve the water quality coming out of that site. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we want to see what urban communities, you know, are like and engaging with rewilding mm. and, and kind of um, nature-based uh, solutions and things. So, Do you see a time where you might sort of move into this area full-time? Could you um, earn your living doing this stuff? There is the difficulty. I mean, at this stage, I would love to. Um, you know, I'd love to just um, at some point in the next kind of five years, if I could. We're not hang not tell your boss at sales.com about this, but... Uh... Oh, they, they know the track I'm on. They're fine. <laughs> um, I, I love working at Tales.com, um, but I think they know as well as I do. I've talked to them about it that, you know, I do want to move more into kind of um, conservation and things. But yeah, the bills still need to be paid. And unfortunately, the conservation industry is, is quite tricky to kind of make a living in as well. So, um, yeah, I've got a quite a quite nice balance at the moment. Um, Ealing Wildlife Group is like a second job, but it's one that I get a lot of energy and a lot of joy from. And the big thing about it is it's it's built an amazing community of people. Like we get a lot of our work done with volunteers who come along and just absolutely love getting stuck in and involved. And some of them, you know, weren't into nature before. Some of them like lost mm -hmm. their joy of nature when they became adults. And they're now realizing, wow, I didn't realize all this nature was on my doorstep in, in London. Um, and we're lucky in Ealing to live in, in such a green borough, you know, we've loads and loads of amazing green spaces. So we got some slagging off when we announced the Beaver Project. People were like, where are they going to go, Ealing Broadway? And uh, we showed them actually where they're going to go. And it's just this incredible um, wetland and woodland system in the north of the borough. And then you don't, you don't think it's going to be there, do you? I mean, you, look, no. you drive through Ealing and you think, well, I've been cooed this amazing uh, supermarket by any nationality of food from. <laughs> What, yeah. what what is there to to say? Well, this is the thing: you're driving through the very centre of urban healing. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. know, but you go to the north of the borough, north of the A40, up to Horson um, Hill and things, and yeah. you could be out in the countryside anywhere in the country. You really could. Um, really it good. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it used to be truly rural, didn't it? It was Horson and Meadows was the meadows where they they made hay for the horses of London and brought them in on the canal. You know, mm. brought um, boatloads of hay in to feed the horses that were um, part of the trade in London. So, um, yeah. it's definitely the the, the workhorse of, of London back in the day. Yeah, quite wow. well, literally. Yeah, literally. yeah. And um, and you you mentioned quite a lot of uh, uh, rewilding projects in your in your podcast in your yes video podcast, didn't you? The the goshawks. I was particularly keen on watching that episode. Yeah, so I do um, kind of a, a video series, I guess, occasionally. It's, there's nothing structured about it. It's just occasionally I'll be doing something that might be of interest to people and I'll put on YouTube. Um, but the podcast itself, I set up um, just before lockdown happened, actually. And then during lockdown, I thought, 
well, I'm stuck here on my own, so I might as well do something productive <laughs> and started interviewing people that I knew or had come across in the kind of rewilding and conservation space. So it's called Sean's Wildlife. It's on all podcast apps and Spotify and everything. Um, don't want to compete with yours or anything, but it's different interests. It, it's a big enough pot. We can I'm absolutely. Sure we can all share. And uh, you know, if, if anybody, if any of our listeners are interested in any of the subjects that Sean's been talking about, then uh, check it out. What, what's it called again, Sean? Sean's Wildlife. Um, Sean's wildlife and so okay. a lot of it is based on rewilding, um, you know, and um, there's a few kind of more animal welfare and there's even a few kind of veterinary related um, episodes on there as well. It's a bit of a kind of broad strokes of all the things I do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the, the kind of theme of rewilding in the last kind of five, 10 years has really, really taken off. It's a word now that a lot of people are familiar with and there's a bit there, of confusion around it, but... And increasingly excited about it. Obviously, yeah. rewilding always conjures up images of... Uh, of wolves roaming free in the, in the Scottish Highlands again. Well, I've just yeah. had a fox walk through our front garden. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I use the real wild, rewilding when I, I get told, uh, isn't it time we cut the lawn? And I, no, 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 we'll rewild that. Bit. Rewild your lawn. Yeah, no yeah. mow May should be no mow summer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's now a hay meadow, mate, right? Yeah, but yeah. the croquet lawn will be ruined, Sean. What are you talking but about? But you can make the croquet lawn within the meadow. You don't need to, have to mow the whole thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll see. Leave messy margins, messy margins. That's what nature needs. Oh, I yeah, like that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's my excuse anyway. Why well, I said, well, you haven't done the streaming for a while. No, no, no. Messy margins. Messy margins. Yeah. yeah, pollinators need it. Absolutely. Stuff. So now, taking rewilding to the next obvious stage, mm. dodos, dodos and woolly mammoths. Can you have yes. views on them? Because uh, it's looking like it might become reality, isn't it? Yeah, what do they call it? They call that de-extinction. Yes. So the, the rewilding um, Puritans will say that, you know, that's something totally different and maybe it's mm. wildly fantastical and it undermines what they're actually trying to do and it's too, too far or whatever. Um, I think one of the criticisms of rewilding um, when it comes to rewilding covers a lot of different things. It is allowing nature mm. and natural process to come back. And part of rewilding is reintroducing lost species, whether it's locally extinct things like harvest mice and eeling or whether it's bigger, more iconic species like beavers or lynx or dare I say wolves you know I was hoping you were going to say wolves and bears the big sexy animals yeah yeah. 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 well one of the reasons I went to Slovenian Alps is they have lynx bears and wolves there you know yeah did did I see them no Um, (laughs) (laughs) de-extinction I think look there's there's um a hell of a lot of resources that I think maybe could be spent better on um improving and saving what we have than trying to bring back uh, you know ex- long extinct species with uh, with biotechnology and things mm-hmm. it's like the the race to the moon you know i'm like oh, or to, to other planets like yeah. the yeah. amount of money being spent on these i know but but there, there would always be people who'd be able to quote figures and say yes but if it wasn't for that then we wouldn't know about the ores that we're going to get from them they're, they're, yeah. they're facilitators, aren't they? These people yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It is the way, but it, it will happen because people want it to happen. Yeah. And it's a bit like the Jeff Goldblum uh, saying, isn't it, from the first mm. Jurassic Park? We, we were so caught up in the whether we could, we didn't think whether we, whether we should. should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which in, in veterinary medicine, don't we say um, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Things, so. Yeah, do you do you think do you think the saber toothed tigers and the woolly mammoths will be able to use the narrow corridors that we're trying to build to join up <laughs> these little pockets of 
of wild habitat. I, I'm not sure they will. I don't think our margins are quite messy enough for those species. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn, because I've seen a photograph of you with a robin on your hand. Oh, yes. Yeah. I want to learn how you did that. That's very easy, guys. There's one very simple secret to that trick. I've done it loads of times. With Is lots it blue of your fingers? No, no. It's um, it's mealworms. Yes. Mealworms. So mealworms are basically like crack to robins. Yeah. Um, so if you have a robin in your garden, robins yeah. are, you know, very tame of garden birds. Mm. One, and the reason for that, you know about how, why UK no, robins no. are the gardener's friend? No. Um, in Europe, on the continent, they are quite a shy woodland species and they follow around um, wild boar rootling in the earth. And right. basically, we have replaced that um, proxy for wild boar with our garden shovels um, or spades digging in the garden. The in English robins, UK robins, uh, basically see a large mammal turning earth and they're hardwired to take advantage of that opportunity and feed on the earth that's left behind. So our garden mm -hmm. robins almost are treating us as wild boar. Mm -hmm. So if you have a garden robin and you, uh, you're you out in the garden quite a bit, just get a little pot of um, live mealworms or live wax worms, keep them in your pocket and just throw them down for the robin occasionally and they'll associate you with them. And then gradually you can just throw them closer and closer and the robin is very bold. It'll come in and eventually it'll just take them off your hand. I've done that in like the space of two or three days um, sometimes with robins. Right. I, I assume you're just sort of singing that Disney song. I am basically Snow White, but um, yeah, I also I use mealworms. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so try it. Oh, I'm going to. Yeah. I've got, we've yeah. got. I've got probably three. We're sort of at, a, at the junction of sort of like three territories. Territories, yeah. And the the three males will take it in turns to come into the garden, and and take the feed that and, and the dried mealworms, yeah. Um, that I put out for them, and mm -hmm. sometimes they'll they'll sort of get reasonably close, and then they'll just both back off again. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got a perfect opportunity. Yeah. Okay. I will set, I will set myself that challenge. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Eh? yeah <laughs> challenge accepted. Thanks for that, Sean. The other I interesting love that snippet. Photograph. Yeah. Hmm? The other interesting snippet about garden robins. Sorry, I'm going off on a bird tangent now. We often think, don't we, that if the bird is there singing, it must be the male bird. But actually, robins are quite unique because the female will sing in wintertime as well. So if you see the two of them singing together, it's not necessarily your adjoining territories. It could be a male and female and a third male, maybe you're singing. Or... Ah, so, yeah, quite unusual for songbirds that they both sing. Yes, yes. Brilliant stuff. Amazing. What else we can we learn? Of... <laughs> Robin's nesting in our garage. What, what else? Can... I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Sean. I, I don't suppose you've come across veterinary ramblings. Now, we ramble off. I mean, we've, we've been talking about all sorts. Of... That's why it's called veterinary ramblings. We just let it go. But... Um, have you come across 60 Second CPD? I have heard of it. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I had a little think about, well, how could I add value here? Oh, hang on. <laughs> it's all very well me keying up 60 Second CPD. I haven't got the clock. <laughs> you got, get, get your clock. Would, would, you, would you have a little 60 Second CPD for us? I have a 60 Second CPD. Yeah. I, I, um, I talked to my friend and uh, said, what am I going to talk about? Should I talk about beavers and... Uh, she said, talk about something more applicable to your clinicians. So I'm going to talk to you about um, bats in practice. Bats. So I don't know. Have you ever had bats being handed in by a member of the public? Normally brought in a shoe box, I am, aren't they? I, I have my rabies 
vaccine and um, Good, license yeah. to do with bats. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think we, we all get bats in, so it's a good uh, maybe topic for a 60-second CPD, no? Excellent. Right, well, Wait. in that case then, Sean McCormack, 60-second CPD on bats in practice, starting now. Cool, thanks. So um, bats, they, they get handed in by the public occasionally. A lot of the bat team are like, what the hell do we do with these? I think the first thing to say about them is they are a wild animal, so any wild species, we want to be very careful not to stress them out and tip them over the edge. Bats are also very secretive and they're nocturnal. So keeping them in the dark, observing them before handling them is really, really important. Um, recording where they came from and getting the client's details is important because they are very faithful to sites. You need to go back where they came from. Um, health and safety. Bats do have or can carry um, two viruses, lysoviruses, which are rabies viruses, um, European bat lysovirus one and two. Um, so you need to be careful and you need to wear gloves whenever you're handling them. Um, it's very rare that they transmit it, but it can happen. Um, never handle them by picking them up by the wings. The wings are extremely delicate. You often don't even need to x-ray if you're going to um, examine for breaks or tears in the wing. And I think ultimately just think about, can they go back to the wild? Would they be long-term captive? And is it ethical um, to treat them? Um, euthanasia is a positive welfare outcome as well. I know I'm over time, but get in touch with the Bat Conservation Trust and they'll put you in touch with a local bat re rehabilitation. That's not over time, that's additional information. So additional, yeah, yeah, that's time for questions, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Thank you very much. <laughs> so who was that you tagged on that at the end? The Bat Conservation Trust. Yeah, yep. Um, and on their website, if you, you know, if you look it up, they have a really, really good um, downloadable um, section on rehabilitating and treating bats for veterinary professionals. Mm. So do have a look at that. Yeah. And you mentioned bat detectors earlier. Mm. Um, yeah. And they're, they're not expensive, not expensive, but they're even cheaper if you get a kit and make one yourself. Yeah, yeah. But have you been on a bat walk or used a bat detector? Yes, I have. I have yeah. both. Oh. And, and um, it's great fun. Just little um, uh, gizmos that, that, that adjust the frequency down to so the frequency modulators. Yeah. And so, because bats obviously speak a lot higher than we can hear. Yeah. So you just adjust the dial and you hear all these little high-pitched things. It's either leprechauns or uh, or bats. One of the two. <laughs> yeah. If it's leprechauns yeah. and you and you turn the uh, the the, the, the uh, pitch down, all you'll hear is I think there's a rainbow over here. Go, yeah, <laughs> well we're not we're not allowed to tell you the frequency of leprechauns you see that's, that's a trade no. secret. Yeah. So out of ten it's gonna be bats. Yeah. It is good fun. I mean I do um I do bat walks believe it or not for Airbnb experiences. Um, so I bring tourists and locals from London mm. out on a Friday night and we go out on Hampstead Heath, give them all bat detectors, teach them how to ID bats. And honestly, the, the, the reviews and the ratings to come in, people are like, this was brilliant. And I think it's because it like, marries technology with natural history, with going out after dark and hearing something that you'd never, ever um, hear before. Yeah, right it's in the heart secret, of London. Right missed, in the heart of London. Secret. And we get, you know, we frequently get six species, if not seven. Um, in the space of an hour and a half there. And we also get them feeding low over the lakes and the ponds there and in torchlight. And people just have never seen a bat before, seen one flitting by in the dark and have no idea what they're doing or where they are, how many they are, because it's completely silent without these detectors. So, mm. Well, I, I don't know where to go next. I, I think probably... Uh, well, we, we, need, should... we need... Have you given a CPD certificate? I was going to say, I think maybe we could rec should recognise that, that actually we've had an amazing CPD yeah. session and go to uh, the certificate because it, yeah, it just so yeah. happens I do have 
a a certificate and it says here oh, right. it says, oh wow there's on. a certificate of nature and stuff mm-hmm. Brilliant. this certifies certifies that we all get ill regardless of species even sharks so uh, uh, you mentioned one health earlier so go one health and what have we got on here we got there's a a little missile thrush i think it is eating eating a worm oh yeah uh, now there's a wild tapir in uh, in Scotland. I thought it was a haggis. No, no we, we did, we did seemingly. See, I, we he did sent this photo to me the other day, and and the frustration is, is that the the tapir actually photo bombed him because tucked away just behind his his left hind there, there is actually a wild haggis, okay. and he didn't spot that. He just it went, oh look at it. this photo of a wild tapir, and he missed yeah. the haggis completely. Tapir that wants the limelight, yeah. Missing of his, his little tadpole. Yeah. I, I still get amazed by tadpoles. Just watch it, how those little legs develop. It's amazing. Uh, and here, and I believe this bumblebee is a Bombus magnex. It's um, one of my favourite bumblebees. Uh, we have over the other side uh, an orchid. I think it's a bee orchid, wild bee orchid in the yeah. locality. And, uh, and some wild edible sea urchins. Uh-oh. Uh, Oh, I thought they were hedgehogs. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, part part of CPD, of course, is is reflection. What is it? Some, what what do I have to do? It's just just a set a reflection question for our listeners to reflect on something that we've covered tonight. Well, so, having a little glass of something later on. Yeah, just okay. get them to reflect on what we've learned tonight because we've learned a hell of a lot. We've a huge through. amount about beavers, yeah. bats, and all sorts. <laughs> Go on. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, uh, I won't bore you with more nature facts. I think um, the big thing for me, and I, I talked about it tonight more than I thought I was going to, is whatever your profession, whatever your uh, path in life, mm-hmm. if it's not working out for you, if you're putting pressure on yourself to make it work and, and things aren't really going to plan, like t- try if you can, if you're lucky enough to be able to take a little bit of time back, a little bit of a step back and reanalyze things. And most importantly, talk to your friends and family about it and go if you can and seek you know someone to talk to who's experienced in this a career counselor or something vet life turned my um kind of experience around there and said there's loads you can do with this and let's talk about that and here's some issues and you're not having personal trouble you're having career trouble and it's getting into your personal life um and that was the biggest um, help for me so i think if you're struggling you're not happy don't feel like you're trapped talk to people about it and there are ways you can change it that's fantastic yeah really good yeah that's that's really good Mm. sean it's it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you tonight you guys Uh, too yeah thank you really really thank you so much for your your time and your your trouble and uh, to our listeners and viewers if you've enjoyed what you've heard you know don't forget to uh hit subscribe because it really helps and like and reach out to us as well if there's something you want us to cover or a particular topic or subject let us know ask us the questions and we'll do what we can to accommodate please so, do and, and it's a big pool so look at uh, sean's podcast as well yeah absolutely yeah don't forget to check that out sean mccormack in in the, in the words of another famous irish comedian in that case may your dog go with you <laughs> may your dog go with you thanks a lot guys that's brilliant thank you very Cheers. much indeed sean